sharing here. Hello and welcome, Main Street people, to this week's sermon discussion video with myself and Mr. Joshua Ryan Fail, Deacon Extraordinaire at uh, Main Street, uh, and also uh, Questionnaire Air, Extraordinaire Questionnaire Man. Um, yeah. So, hey, I'm a little tired. I apologize. Um, I might ramble a little bit tonight. So, anyways, uh, we're going to talk about Genesis 15 tonight, and I'm just going to read the last few verses from the sermon text since it was a whole chapter, uh, starting in verse 17 of chapter 15. Uh, it reads, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Uh, so this was the Abrahamic covenant uh, in which God promises offspring. So what we talked about first, and we kind of overlooked the first six verses since they were preached by Daniel, didn't go real deep into those. Uh, and then also the promise of land, promise of suffering, which we focused on pretty heavily, and then the promise of hope at the very end. Um, and so that was uh, what encapsulated God's covenant with Abraham. So what questions do you have for us tonight, Josh? Yeah, so the uh, the first question I have is, is really um, uh, slightly unrelated to your sermon topic, but you kind of, you started your sermon off talking about interpreting the Old Testament. Yeah, specifically said, um, talking about interpreting it in light of its genre, um, historical. Would you like to give any just any other principles for interpreting Old Testament that might yeah. help? Yeah, we need to be very careful. Um, there, there are several several genres um, throughout the entire scriptures. Right, you've got history, poetry, um, uh, apocrypha, not apocrypha. Um, What's the word? Apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. <laughs> Not apocrypha. No apocrypha. Apocalyptic uh, and prophecy um, are probably the four main ones. Uh, and you could also argue for things like just, just narrative or something like that. But um, and, and really, uh, the only extra one, that, or I guess there's two extra ones in the New Testament, those would be the Gospels and the Epistles. Um, and you see some... Um, I can't remember that word. Uh, uh, apo uh, apocalyptic literature come back in, in Revelation. Um, so uh, that, that's really important uh, when you're interpreting the Bible, no matter where you are, Old or New Testament. Um, the Bible itself is enough. Um, we don't have to do a lot of background study for the word to just be the word. That's the way God designed it. It's living, it's breathing, it's active, it's sharp, and it pierces our souls when we read it, and it's made so that the simplest of human beings can understand it. Um, even the apostles called themselves poor uh, or, or common, uneducated men, right? And they wrote the scriptures. Um, so uh, when we're looking at the Old Testament in particular, though, we need to be reminded that all of this is before Jesus, uh, which means those promises made um, find their yes in Jesus eventually, is what the author of Hebrews says, uh, but when we read them, we need to understand that they're first given to the Israelite people, or specifically whoever is being talked about in the context. 
Um, so we don't need to just take everything we read in the Old Testament for ourselves. Otherwise, we will come away with false teaching and a cult of some kind that practices half of the Old Testament law, and we will make all kinds of mistakes, and we will lead people astray, and we will, unfortunately, the worst part of it, we'll just lose Jesus if we interpret the Old Testament wrong. So um, that, that's, uh, and I guess law actually would be another um, genre of, of scripture, uh, Leviticus and um, Deuteronomy and those those books. So. Um, I guess those are some basic principles, uh, without going too deep. Do you have any thoughts about Bible interpretation? Well, I will say that, um, one thing that I think is extremely helpful, uh, specifically in the Old Testament is that, um, you want to be careful interpreting it. Uh, I don't know how to say it exactly. You want to be careful interpreting Old Testament principles or Old Testament passages in light of the... In light of the new covenant, where you where you don't actually have explicit apostolic teaching on, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is, it's can be a little bit dangerous there, but I think one of the the most helpful things ever is read through your New Testament, go to every single quotation of the Old Testament that you find, highlight it, mark it back in the Old Testament, and then when you go back and read the Old Testament, you have basically the apostles imp- interpreting the Old Testament. Yeah you to Jesus every uh, not every every single place but you have a, a huge selection of, of the text pointing you to Christ and you don't have to rely on your own interpretation there you have the apostles that are actually teaching you and walking you through it yeah I think that's extremely helpful um it takes time to get that get that because when you look at the cross references in your Bible in the Old Testament it doesn't refer you to the New Testament right looking in the New Testament it does refer you to the Old Testament yeah that's right it can be a little time consuming, but I think it's an extremely helpful practice. To... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's such a good point. Yeah. The new Testament interprets the old Testament for us. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. All right. Um, so let's see here. So you talked about God being, being sovereign over evil and over suffering. And, uh, so as I was kind of you know listening to the sermon, I was I was thinking about maybe the person sitting in the pew who's hearing that, and they believe it. Okay, they believe it's true. They see it in scripture, but they don't like it. Mm. Right. So they're they're uncomfortable with it. It makes them you know kind of makes them you know, yeah. I don't know. It's very uncomfortable. Sure. So with that kind of with that person sitting in the pew, would you have any words that you would tell them that would kind of make this truth sweet to them rather than bitter? Hmm. Hmm. That's hard. <laughs> First of all, I would say that I get it. Um, and I've been there, you know, uh, when you think about the events of the world um, throughout history, things like the Holocaust and, you know, the most unimaginable uh, war scenes that we can't fathom, that we have to learn about in our history books that make us sick, where you think about uh, sex trafficking that is going on in the world today and these terrible, 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 terrible things. Um, I just want to remind you first that I wanted to make clear that God is not the cause of these things. Um, He is not the author of these things, and they are indeed evil. There's nothing wrong with calling those things evil and calling those things painful and calling those things wrong and praying against those things, as we should do. Um, So so please don't mishear anything that I might have said Sunday on that. Um, But I will say that God being in control of evil 
um, means that he's in control of everything. There's nothing outside of his grasp. His arm is not too short. We're going to see the Lord say in, uh, I believe it's Genesis 18, you know, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? You know, if there's 50 in Sodom, 40 in Sodom, 30 in Sodom, 20 in Sodom, uh, is anything too hard? And the answer is no, of, of course not. The Lord can do it. So um, even in the, in the context of Sunday sermon, I tried to point that not only is, is the Lord in control of um, our lives here on the earth and the suffering that we go through, but also in the afterlife, right? And so we want him to be in control of all these things. There's no better person to have control and to rule and to reign than the Lord himself who made all these things. And um, it's encouraging and, and it's important to remember that these things will come to an end. Um, you know, whether it's 400 years, which, you know, I just read Exodus 20 today, just reading through the Bible. And uh, it was 430 years and they were freed from Egypt, you know, that's literally what it said. And so, um, you know, the Lord keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. Uh, suffering only lasts for a while. It only lasts for a time. Um, and, uh, and even if it does last for many years or until we die, we are promised uh, freedom from that suffering once and for all uh, in a far better land, a far better city uh, known as the city of God, city of heaven, uh, where we long to be with Christ. So. Um, I get it, and there are more difficult doctrines. Uh, just wait till we talk about um, worship as it relates to damnation, you know, and people who are sentenced to hell, right? We are very uncomfortable with that, and there's uncomfortable doctrines all through the scriptures, but, you know, we aren't called to uh, be comfortable, right? We're called to, to hold our lives against God's standards and ensure that our worship is sound. We are worshiping the true God. Um, so, Thus saith the Lord, and the Lord's always right. Yeah, that's good. And, um, you know, just throwing out one other thing, too, that I think is very helpful um, is, you know, we're going to be looking at in a couple of weeks in Genesis, uh, the story of Jacob. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, um, he was the deceiver, deceived um, his brother, and then uh, you know, stole the birthright, all that kind of stuff. And then you get to the next chapters, and he's being deceived. Mm-hmm. And uh, you really see the discipline of God there. He's literally teaching Jacob by him being deceived by another deceiver. <laughs> and then he brings him out of that by him outwitting the deceiver. Mm. Um, and, you know, it really points us more to like a Hebrews 12 type of situation where you have God disciplining. And so when he disciplines us, he uses things in, in our life that like suffering, uh, even things that, were, that we would consider evil. Mm -hmm. However, and the difference is, is, is he's our father. Right. So if you think about God as being in the sky, you know, whatever, doing these evil, you know, doing sovereignly making evil things happen, then you're going to have a really bad idea of what we're talking about. This is talking about God as our, as our father right. who loves his children, who disciplines his children. And he does so through various means. Yeah. And, um, and I think when you have that mindset, you, you have a mindset of it's, it's sweet because yeah. Yeah. Hebrews 12 teaches that if you're not being disciplined and you're illeg illegitimate child, right? Right. This, this, my, this is my, this is my father and he's, he's lovingly teaching me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I think that's very helpful for someone who might have a bitter taste in their mouth with that kind of um, right. teaching. Yeah. He is fatherly. And, I, and I'll share one more story if we have time. Uh, you know, and I think I just kind of mentioned this wording on Sunday. Um, but, um, I don't remember if you were there or not, Josh. Um, I know you went to the apologetics conference, um, 
year or two ago now, year and a half ago, I guess. Um, and we went to one class. I know Mariana was with me and maybe Daniel. I um, can't remember who all was in that one. But it was about God and evil. And, um, you know, the whoever was teaching the class, you know, gave uh, a lot of different um, philosophical evidence and, and views showing God is sovereign over evil. And at the very end, you know, it was time for questions. And, you know, there was one guy in the front who was just like, I, I just can't sign on to this. You know, how can this be? This is wrong. Do you believe God is this evil, maniacal person who, you know, is just tormenting people? And, you know, how, how can you believe this about God? And um, so the, the guy stopped him, the, the teacher did. And he said, listen, if you were God, if you were God and, and you had all the power of God in your hands, would you do things differently? And the man said, absolutely, I would do things differently if I had all the power of God, right? And then he said, well, if you had the wisdom of God, you wouldn't change a single thing. Yeah. Right? And it was like this epic mic drop moment, and everybody just fell silent. Mm -hmm. And so we can't understand the mind of the Lord uh, fully, and we never will. I don't think even in heaven. Uh, we'll be studying God the rest of our lives and getting to know him and seeing his wonderful attributes and how deep and how amazing and how majestic he is. Um, and so to think that we can just unravel um, how evil works and its origins and how the Lord uses it while we're here in this fallen body is pretty prideful. <laughs> so it's okay to not understand it all, uh, but do take in the sweetness that he is our father and that he does know what he's doing. We don't have a stupid father. He knows what he's doing. Good. Um, so the last question I have for you um, was not something that you necessarily touched on in your sermon, but I thought would be a good application in light of yeah. today. You know, current events, everything else. Uh, we live in a world that is full of suffering. Seems like suffering is getting worse. Mm -hmm. So you have in this passage that you preached, you have the the Abrahamic covenant covenant with God promising him, you know, the son, and through the son, you're gonna he's gonna bless the nations. And you have you know, as numerous as the, as the stars, he's had all these descendants and, and you brought in the parallel that, or the, uh, the fulfillment of that being Christ and the church. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you go down to the very, the very end, you talk about suffering and you have the, um, have God is sovereign over suffering in our lives. Now I wonder if you could, if, if maybe you could do some application in connecting these two together and how does suffering play into evangelism in today's world where suffering is happening maybe to the church mm. and how God uses that suffering to advance his kingdom to, I mean, to save people essentially. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that it's not something I've really reflected on a lot, but it does say in that passage in Exodus, when uh, Exodus one, when they're tormenting and, and being harsh with the slaves, the Israelites in Egypt, um, the Israelites, were spreading like they were multiplying while that was happening so god was keeping his promise in the midst of their harsh suffering that they were turning into a nation you know that was overwhelming egypt um which is it's crazy to think about right um so in the in the context of our culture uh where you know the church um in the west is not suffering near as much as it is in other parts of the world but uh, i think we do see a trajectory of more of that coming and evangelism in light of that is calling people to do exactly what Jesus called them to do, to pick up a cross, right? And to carry it and to go and die. Um, and so that is not appealing 
Uh, it's not a happy message. Um, it has always been an offensive message, the message of the gospel, because it says you are sinners and you need to die. You need to die with Jesus and you need to be raised with Jesus. Um, and so I, I think showing people that the greatest need of their lives is not to be safe in the culture's eyes or to be in, on the right side of history, as people are saying, or in the majority, the, the greatest endeavor of life um, and, and something that is far more dangerous than being on the wrong side or not in the majority is uh, not realizing your sin and not knowing Jesus. That is far worse than anything. And, and so con convincing them that their greatest need is Christ is the, is the call of evangelism. That is what we are appealing them to do, to repent and believe, uh, to have their sins washed white as snow. And, uh, and then they'll find that through their suffering, they have greater joy than they had outside of Christ by, by far. There's a greater delight, you know, um, in the things of God and knowing your maker and knowing why you exist. And so evangelism does um, have, a, have a part in the midst of suffering and persecution. Um, and so, you know, may it be so of us, I think, as America gets more and more immoral and um, we see uh, more and more things just sort of fall apart. I think the church is going to look like it's shrinking on the outset. Um, but inwardly, I think we're going to be growing stronger and stronger and we will indeed multiply. Um, you know, troublesome times are here and people talk about the tribulation and the end is near and all of this, but the church will never perish. Jesus said that. And so, um, we need to believe that his word will work. You know, he does the power. He saves people. We proclaim it in the midst of suffering and they come and suffer with us, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, and I, I think about the passage that you, you you preached through when you went through the Gospel of John, and I can't remember what you said about it, but uh, Jesus teaches that the seed must go into the ground and die. Mm, and yeah. Multiplies. And he's talking about his, his body, he's going to die, and he's been erased from the dead. But then you have the whole story of Acts, where all the, the disciples are, you have people like Stephen dying, and then as soon as he dies, you have it multiplying into all these people getting saved as well. And, uh, of course, all through church history, we see the most prosperous times in church history for the gospels when people were suffering, Christians were suffering for the yep. gospel. Yeah. And so I think it's a, it's, it's encouraging to me to know that uh, even in our suffering, uh, God is working in such a way that, that when the seed dies, it, mul it has to die to multiply. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's right. And that's, that's encouraging to me to know that God is faithful in keeping his covenant mm -hmm. um, even through suffering. So, yeah. Amen. It's good. It's good stuff. Who was the who was the Roman dude who converted and made Christianity good in Rome? Oh, uh, Constantine. Yeah, Constantine. Yeah. If I remember correctly, right? Um, the the church was growing like crazy. You know, it was persecution was real. People were dying. It was bad. Um, and then when Constantine became Christian and then made Christianity the official like religion or whatever of Rome the persecution slowed down, didn't stop, but slowed down. Um, but also so did the growth of Christianity, so did the spread of the gospel. And so, I don't know, it's, it's something to consider in our own. Huh? I think we get too comfortable. Yeah. In our cushy lives here, you know, we, we, <laughs> we don't realize the gift of the gospel. We've made grace cheap. As I talked about in the email on Tuesday, you know, and so, yeah, we put off spiritual disciplines. Yeah, we don't share the gospel with people because we don't realize what we have.
We don't realize the gift of the gospel. And so that's why in the replant, we're making the gospel central to everything, right? We are a church that is transformed by the power of the gospel. We're calling other people to be transformed by the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, man, yeah, let's go make disciples, huh? Yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> well, I think that's all I have for you. Thanks for the last question. Good talk, good talk. Well, thanks. I uh, hope you guys weren't too distracted by these lemons here. This room is turning into a nursery uh, one day at a time. Uh, I was literally painting a crib right before I got on this call. So it's happening, y'all. It's coming. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We love you. Talk to you next time.